Lighthouse. I think this is about the last weekend one can say Happy New Year. So Happy New Year. And I bring greetings from my colleague David, who many of you may know, and also my six-year-old son, Simeon, who happens to be a Seahawks fan. And we did pray last night that we would win so that everyone would be in a joyous spirit and mood this morning. But today we'll rely on the Holy Spirit to lift us up, yes? <laughs> well, I, like Pastor Wayne said, and thank you very much for the invitation to be here this morning. I come from Southern California, so this morning I wasn't expecting to have to defrost my windshield. I forgot what that was like. And it kind of reminded me of our Christmas break. So for our Christmas break this year, we went to the Colorado mountains, where my husband is from, and he actually used to compete as a downhill skier. So when we first got married, I decided, well, I should learn how to ski so we could do the one thing that he loves together, right? I mean, plus the ski clothes are just so cute. So I ended up buying a ski jacket, ski pants, waterproof gloves, a matching scarf and a hat. I mean, and let's not forget the cute boots, right? So cute, 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 let's go skiing. But unfortunately, when it came down to actually skiing, I was awful. I mean, my skis were everywhere. I, I even threw a tantrum. I threw a tantrum and I threw my poles and I just gave up. I said, I can't do it. So my husband literally picked me up, put me on his shoulder, and skied me down to the lodge, and he put me into the lodge, and I just pouted. And I just watched how everyone joyously, easily skied down the mountain, and there I was just sulking because I gave up, because skiing was really, really hard. So now we have a six-year-old, and so at age two, we decided, well, we should put him in ski class. So he would grow up skiing and not be afraid of the mountains, right? And so, like his mommy, he loved the ski jacket, but his favorite was the ski helmet and the goggles, right? I mean, yes! But this year, we actually gave him skis for, of his own, and he was really, really excited because we had planned on doing some skiing this winter. And so, a few weeks ago, my son was putting on all of his ski gear, getting ready for ski school, and he proceeded to tell us that he was not going to ski school. And you know, as a mom, I was so mad. I'm like, oh my gosh, we came all the way out here. And then something in my spirit reminded me, like, oh wait, kids don't actually always say what they mean, right? So he was saying, I'm not going to ski school. But he, what he was really meaning was, I'm nervous, I'm not going to make any friends, I'm not going to know what to do, I'm not going to know what food they have. So, you know, as a mommy, I just took a deep breath. Now, now, Simeon, you're, you'll be fine, because if you don't go to ski school, you're going to have to sit in the hotel room, and you're not going to be able to watch TV or play with my iPad. So he answered, as most six-year-olds would, fine. Now, just because we may have all of the ski gear, we not, may, may not always be ready for the adventure of skiing down the mountain, right? And so this reminds me of when I first heard my first sermon on justice and the issue of slavery. I mean, I was on staff at a church, I led a life group, I tithed, and it just occurred to me that perfect attendance at church really had no effect on the poor or those who are enslaved. Yet I was very familiar with passages like Luke 
4, verses 18 to 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So when Jesus came to earth, he came clearly with his purpose. He said he'd be given all authority in heaven and on earth to establish once and for all the kingdom of God here on earth. And when he described the nature of his mission and the nature of his kingdom, he used epic language. Listen again. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Bring good news to the poor. Proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set the captives free. This is huge world-transforming mission. This is epic. Go and do. And it struck me that you can't do any of these things while sitting at church every Sunday, though that is important. And so then there's this conversation that Jesus has with Peter in Matthew chapter 16. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. How does that work? What is Jesus actually saying? Is he describing a church that is strong enough to withstand the attack of the enemy? Strong enough to withstand the onslaught of evil as it encroaches on our lives? perhaps, and there is certainly truth in it, but I think he's also painting a much more courageous picture of the church. This is a picture of the church on the offense. The very gates of hell are unable to withstand the unstoppable advance of the church. But what does that look like? I think we can often create abstractions out of the ideas that Jesus meant for us to understand simply and concretely. So, if the gates of hell cannot withstand the unstoppable advance of the church, what does that look like? In fact, what would these gates of hell actually look like? If we took a hard look at the real suffering going on in the world today, one of the things we would have to acknowledge is the issue of slavery. Men, women, children, whole families, they're not suffering because of bad luck or bacteria. They're suffering because of the intentional abuse of other people. One of the things we find on the other side of the gates of hell is the sin of injustice, the abuse of power. So if you will, allow me to paint a couple of pictures for you this morning from our work at IJM. And so for those of you who may be guests or new to Lighthouse, IJM is a global ministry that works to protect the poor from everyday violence. We have teams of Christian investigators, lawyers, social workers, community activists, and other professionals working to rescue victims, to restore survivors, bring criminals to justice, and to strengthen justice systems. 
And the vision for IJM is to rescue thousands, to protect millions, and prove that justice for the poor is possible. And so we got this vision, a vision after visiting places like Svebak, Cambodia, a beautiful country with a dark side. When iGEM first opened up our office in Svepak, for many children, it sat squarely in the middle of the gates of hell. Svepak is a small village 11 kilometers outside of Phnom Penh and is essentially a collection of wooden houses and huts. But Svepak has many traffickers and pimps trying to woo families to sell their children into the brothels that align the village. Now, Mien's family was destitute. Her father was a violent, abusive alcoholic. And so just to put food on the table, Mien's mom would go to the local loan shark just to borrow money with unmanageable terms. And their financial situation, it was no secret, so there was a lot of pressure for Mien's mother to just sell her. And though she was able to withstand the pressure for many years, eventually she would succumb to it. And at age 13, Mien's virginity was put on auction at a local brothel just a block away from her home. On the Cambodian sex market, an underage girl's virginity can be sold to wealthy foreigners from $500 to $5,000. And because of their value, according to the brothel owner, Mien and many girls like her are locked in what's called the pink room or the virgin room so they wouldn't escape and eventually, a man was willing to pay the high premium, and Mien was raped for the very first time. She was 13, sad, abused, and hurt. And even after the rape, she was allowed to go home, but she was required to return to the brothel at any moment's notice. And so from that day on, Mien was raped at least three times a day, every day. And her worth was less each day at age 13 because she was no longer new. What does the mission of Jesus have to say about that? What does the church established by Jesus have to say about this kind of hell on earth? For those of us who take the word of God very seriously, it is pretty obvious that God has called us to the work of fighting injustice in the world. In fact, it is all over Scripture, both in the Old and the New Testaments. So, for example, in Psalm 35, it says, All my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you? You deliver the weak from those too strong for them, the weak and needy for those who despoil them. Isaiah 117 says to seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, and plead for the widow. Luke chapter 11 says, Woe to you Pharisees, because you give, a, you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. And the Bible also mentions that it is indeed Jesus we are serving when we serve the poor and the oppressed. And Matthew Chapter 25, starting in verse 35, it says, I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked out for me. 
I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Jesus' picture of the church is this vibrant body that is light even in the places of the greatest darkness and hopelessness. A church that brings good news to the poor, proclaims release to the captives, lets the oppressed go free. A church that feeds the hungry and clothes the naked. A church that the gates of hell simply cannot prevail against. But for so many of us, we become so distracted, right? I received a letter from my son's pediatrician that said he was no longer in my network. And I was so frustrated, yet there are billions of people out there that aren't upset that their doctor isn't in their network because they don't actually have a doctor. And the Bible says, do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God that transforms all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Or how about in our recent vacation, I spent much of the morning praying that my son, that his $230 a day ski school would actually eat the food that they served him at lunch. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God, and the peace of God that transforms all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And I have to admit that oftentimes my prayer life is consumed with finding a pediatrician or hoping that my son will eat his lunch at school. But then I have to stop myself and realize the church of Jesus is hardwired for life and death struggle in the world. And the spiritual authority and supernatural power might have some larger purpose than simply praying and finding a new pediatrician or hoping that this cafeteria doesn't put tomatoes or lettuce on my son's burger. Now, I do think that God does care about these things, but I have found that if these are the biggest kinds of problems in my life, then things can get a little warped. Life can get so small when I'm focused on such small problems. We can even become small people, so much smaller than God intended us to be. I find that when I can open up my heart to some of the big life and death struggles of the world, the epic battles of good and evil, I begin to feel this exhilaration of a greater purpose, a sense that I was actually created for more, more than just sitting at the lodge watching people ski down the mountain. Now, I know that you as a church know what it's like to ski down the mountain. In fact, you have remained by IJM's side as we have rescued and operate, have rescue operations similar to Mien's. And I'm delighted to tell you that Mien knows what it looks like to see the church come crashing through the gates of hell because she watched it happen. 
In 2003, just a few months after Mien was sold into the brothel, IJM conducted a large rescue operation in the village of Sveipak. And sadly, because of the many lies that the brothel owner told Mien, when she saw the police coming, she ran into the bushes and hid. And she watched the police rescue 37 girls aged 5 through 17, but she was left behind. When the brothel was shut down, Mien's family migrated to another city called Siem Reap, where Mien was again sold to a local brothel with no hope in sight. But because the mission of Jesus is to bring good news to the poor and to set the captives free, her story does not end there. Miraculously, three years later, at the request of the Siam Reap police, an IJM undercover investigator entered into a brothel and saw about 20 underage girls, and he recognized Mien. And in January 2007, IJM and Siam Reap police mobilized a rescue operation, and Mien was finally rescued. And she was brought to the Agape Restoration Center back in Phnom Penh. And though it took time, Yen eventually realized that she was, in fact, safe. And she received great aftercare and trauma therapy. And she eventually had enough courage to actually testify against her perpetrators in court. And so all four of her perpetrators were convicted of their crimes and sent to prison. And Agape Mian says, my life went from bad to good. She resumed her education and entered into vocational training. And Mien, she actually owns her own tailoring business now. Mien's miraculous transformation is proof that God really is in the business of rescue, restoration, and redemption. That he hears the cries of small, vulnerable voices locked in hellish darkness, and that he delights in crashing those gates to bring rescue and transformation. But you know, God just isn't offering transformation to Mien and the thousands like her. There's actually another thread of the story that I'd like to tell. The Agape Restoration Center where Mien was placed after her rescue is run by this wonderful couple, Doug and Bridget Brewster. And back in 2003, the year that Mien was first sold, they watched an NBC Dateline special and saw our rescue operation of the 37 girls. And they were just so distraught that they felt moved that they had to get involved. So they just kind of disentangled their lives from California and moved to Cambodia. And so three years later, when Mien was finally brought to the Agape Restoration Center after her rescue, the aftercare home directors were actually Don and Bridget Brewster. And they would tell you that their involvement in God's passion for vulnerable people like Mien transformed their lives. They have become gate crashers. But you know, that's not the end of the story either. About the same time Mien was rescued, Agape decided to open an outreach center in Sveipak, the village where Mien grew up and was first sold to a brothel. And so they decided to call it Rahab's house. As a site for Rahab's house, Agape rented a former, former brothel that had been shut down in IJM's NBC Dateline special. And you know what? It actually turned out to be the brothel that Mien was first sold into. This center now holds classes for children, a health clinic, 
Sunday services and other community services with the goal of completely transforming the community of Spaypack. A place that was once a scene of horror and tragedy and unspeakable crimes against children. And now, Mien volunteers at Rahab's house, sharing her story with other children at risk in the village. And she says, my first time at Rahab's house when the car stopped, I felt so scared to get out. But when I get out, it was good. Everything was changed. Before, when I was here, I was forced to be a prostitute. Now, when I teach the children, I feel like I am staff. And I am proud of this. This is prevention and aftercare for victims like Mien set up inside the very gates of hell. This is a picture of the church of Jesus in action. It is simply the ongoing work of the church. See, God often starts not where we are comfortable, but where we have unbelief, where we struggle, where we feel it's too late or hopeless. When we get out of our comfort zone and move into action, we mature into a church that Jesus has invited to rescue the oppressed. This is the church Jesus invites to be a, us to be a part of, a church that bears light in darkness and dark places like modern-day slavery. So it's 2017, over 10 years after Amien's rescue, and Svepak and CM Reap have a much different story to tell you. This photo is a police officer doing a princess puzzle with a recently rescued client. This is something we would never have imagined when we first went and opened up an office in Cambodia. When IJAM started operations there in the early 2000s, child sex trafficking was epidemic. There were young girls as young as six being openly sold out on the streets. The justice system was dysfunctional and ineffective, and many police who should have been protecting children were actually benefiting from their lucrative trafficking business. Over the past decade, we have witnessed a dramatic reduction in child sex trafficking in three of Cambodia's largest red light districts. In 2015, a prevalence study in these three red light districts showed that a prevalence of young minors ages 15 and younger was down to just 0.1%. Police and courts consistently work together to enforce, enforce anti-trafficking law. It becomes a deterrent and affects the whole community. Government, government officials are leading nation counter-sex trafficking efforts, and survivors of sex trafficking are receiving professional and Christian care. And now there's this robust network of providers in Cambodia. Now, while there is still more work to do to improve the justice system and combat the prevailing prevalence and build on the prog progress made so far, the model of success seen in Cambodia shows the world that justice for the poor is possible. You have been praying and supporting IJM for about eight years. You have sent teams to Washington, D.C. to join us for our global prayer gathering. You've sent teams to visit our office in Cambodia. You have done creative, wonderful things to bring resources like your Advent conspiracy, and you've been by our side praying for our work. Did you know that Lighthouse has generously given close to $100,000 
to the work of IJM and provided for numerous operations like Mien's and our ability to care and advocate for many of our clients. And so by a grace I cannot fully comprehend, God has allowed Lighthouse to play a role in transforming lives, communities, and the nation of Cambodia. And so on behalf of my colleagues who are just so encouraged by you, and on behalf of our clients who have been served by you, I express our most heartfelt thank you. As I discuss these transforming results in the red light districts against child sex trafficking with Pastor Nancy and Mayling and Mary and John Okada, I was just so moved by what they said. You know what they said? Well, what can we do next? You see, they could have simply ended the story there, right? Why not end on a good note, on a success story? But they were just so keenly aware that there was just more darkness to break through, more gates to build. So Lighthouse is now establishing and embarking a new mission in Cambodia with us at IJM, and that's to address labor trafficking, another form of horrific abuse and slavery. IJM is now leveraging our successful anti-trafficking model and strong relationship with government officials and NGOs to combat labor trafficking. We will combat cross-border trafficking, where Cambodians are exploited across the Gulf of Thailand. And we also will address forced labor slavery inside Cambodia, like sectors of construction and manufacturing and agriculture and child begging. So let's join this fight together through prayer and in participation, even when it gets unfamiliar, uncomfortable, and even intimidating. For my husband and I, having a son increased our motivation to end slavery because we hope to raise him to pursue the mission of Jesus, to be a defender of the weak. In fact, the mission statement for our family is to set the captives free. So when he, like his mom, wants to lean towards wearing his ski gear without actually going down the mountain, or is intimidated by the school bully who keeps harassing the kids every day, I hope we will be able to remind him of the mission of Jesus and that the gates of hell would not prevail. For the past few years, I have become an official snowboarder, enjoying the mountain with my husband and my son. However, I have to admit that I have something a little bit less encouraged when it comes time to get off the chairlift. So as a snowboarder, you really have to kind of prepare to twist your body around all of the skiers because skiers can just go straight off the chair, but snowboarders, you kind of have to twist around. And so at about 30 yards out, my heart just kind of starts to beat a little bit, okay? And I just start to pray, help me, Jesus, help me, Jesus. And I do some self-talk, commit, just commit, just write it out, just write it out, right? Because it also is uncomfortable when there's people next to you that you actually don't know because you can't hold on to them, right? So as you get off the chair, I just kind of like just deep clenching of my jaw and I just pray and I just say, just commit is what I say. I go, commit. Because if you don't, you fall anyway, right? And so you knock people over and then they have to stop the chairlift and just wait for you to get up. And if you can manage to get out of the way, kind of, I mean, it's the worst, right? 
And so after years of boarding, the chair lift still scares me. Yet I know the thrill that awaits me if I would just press through the fear and into faith. And then the things, the, the, the good and evil struggles in the world, when I just press through fear and into faith, I feel like these are the places where I can most clearly see the face of God. So we are accumulating memories of our family going down the mountain together, picking one another up when we fall, encouraging one another when we're exhausted, and celebrating when we complete the adventure together. And despite all this, the temptation to just sit around in our cute snow gear next to the fireplace and drink hot chocolate still remains. And we will need to spur one another on to press on and commit to the adventure. And after a few years pass, we will watch our videos and look at our photos of our ski trips in utter awe and delight as we recall the difficult, maybe even brutal journey of making it down the mountain together. And likewise, likewise someday I'll sit before my grandchildren, and one of the things they will say to me is, Lola, which means grandma, where were you? Where were you when there were more slaves in the world than any time in history? Where were you when kids were being sold into brothels? Where were you where whole families were being enslaved? And I want to be able to answer that I was not just watching my friends at IJM, but that I, along with a group of courageous churches like Lighthouse and a group of individuals that pursued the mission of Jesus by pursuing justice and freedom for the oppressed, I was in the middle of the fight. So I'd like to close by inviting each of you to join us in the middle of the fight by becoming a freedom partner. A freedom partner commits to praying for our work, to advocating for our clients, and to invest at least $24 a month so that IJM can show up 24 hours a day. Now, my husband and I, we became freedom partners years before I came to work at IJM. And it was and still remains to be the the smallest bill of our month each day. Yet we give it with the greatest joy and anticipation. So will you join the, the army of freedom partners throughout your church, throughout the United States, and watch the church prevail for those like Mien? Because, you know, it only takes about 23 freedom partners to unleash enough resources for a rescue operation like Mien's. And as a freedom partner, you will be part of the story. You will be part of Mian's story, part of her freedom story. So if you would just come and visit me at the IJM table in the back after the service, I'll help you sign up. You see, the opportunities to end slavery are countless. The question is, will you seize them? So in honor of Freedom Sunday, I'm going to ask for all of us to stand and will you join me in reading our manifesto and commitment to end slavery together? We are slavery's end. Each morning we rise wide awake and filled with purpose. We fight fearlessly in the name of justice because we believe in a better world and a God who moves us to make it so. We are the church beyond a building or day of the week. 
the new abolitionists relentlessly defending freedom, not for some distant future, but for today. So that this may be the last generation to be owned, sold, or ignored in their suffering. And though we may be free, we are tied to those still held in bondage. And we will not go away until lives, communities, and nations are transformed. Until all countries protect all their citizens. So each day we rise again, knowing we are slavery's end and we will never be free until all are free. And all God's people said,